You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. You have tuned in to 3CR's program, Behind Closed Doors. This program explores all topics related to sex work. We give sex workers and allies a comfortable space to share their experiences. We also appreciate questions from the general public. Behind Closed Doors aim to uncover what the sex industry is really like. Our program exists to bridge the gaps. Please be mindful, this program is not suitable for little years as there may also be explicit language use. Please connect with us on Twitter at bcd3cr or email us at bcd3cr at gmail.com. Hi everyone and welcome to Behind Closed Doors on 3CR 855 AM and digital. Please be advised, this episode of Behind Closed Doors has content and trigger warnings regarding relationships and domestic violence. We also list resources and support services at the end of this show. Hi everyone and welcome to Behind Closed Doors. We are Australia's only sex worker radio show. This episode about relationships, domestic violence with our expert Melissa Brown, a counsellor and social worker with experience supporting victim survivors of domestic violence. Hi Kitty and hi Sassy. Hi Dean. Hi Dean. And welcome to Behind Closed Doors, Melissa Brown. Hi there. Hi, everyone. Hi, Melissa. Is your service catered to just women or open to all genders? Great question. I like to consider myself a practitioner for all genders. Predominantly, I do see women and children, only because statistically we know that women are the mostly affected in a family violence situation. For myself... I have also worked with transgender uh, heterosexual men in relationships too. As a practitioner in the courts, I have had same-sex and transgender, particularly clients that have come to try and assist them in getting support or connecting them with counselling or providing them some uh, advocacy information. That's really great because I used to work in a brothel and there's this transgender woman who has been in a, a victim of a family violence in a, another state. So she came to Melbourne to run away from her family because of being who she is, being a transgender woman. I think it has affected her mental health as well. She has gone through a lot of mental health issues. I don't think she knows where to seek help, but she does share her stories uh, with, with us. So it's like a sisterhood thing. So we listen to her stories, but her mental health, health issues has affected that bad that sometimes we we can't relate to to her so because we're not experts right. so i guess knowing that there's a support system like this it would be great for her but i think she end up going into looking other places to get support for her problems right. but i right. guess brothel she she was living in a brothel so she said living in a brothel give her a safe space for her right yeah And uh, if I can pick up on two points there. So I noticed that you mentioned that brothel being a safe place. Are brothels considered safe places for 
particularly victim survivors of family violence? I believe so, because the girls will come there and share their stories and there's people okay. listen to them. And I guess that shows a bit of support for them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not just being there working. Sometimes they don't even get any jobs, but they... Right. They want to go there just to for an escape for yep. a few hours, okay. and it feels yep. it feels really safe being there. Yeah, I, and I can imagine that that sense of support, given, of course, the risk that victim survivors suffer, especially in uh, uh, isolation, that having even as you explained before or mentioned sisterhood, around that feeling of that being understood, getting empathy, feeling safe because others are are supporting that person. I can see how that is so important for then feeling that they are able to be in a place that's much better than where they were before. I'm guessing also that you've got in that brothel, you'll have some services of, uh, you know, um, being able to get showers, being able to have a place to rest, Mm -hmm. be able to have meals, you know, in order to make sure that those basics are also maintained instead of, you know, potentially being out on the street or somewhere that they can't afford, say in a hotel or a motel. And I'm curious if you guys are aware of this. I know a little bit in the space I work in, but, you know, I wouldn't guess that particularly sex workers or ex-sex workers in their way of trying to escape uh, family violence would be even thinking of going to a women's refuge. And if that was something that they've tried, what kind of experience that would be like? Because I know under the COVID right now, single women or single victim survivors at the moment are not being able to get into refuges because they're keeping those spaces more set aside for families. So victim survivors with children. And therefore there has been a huge huge demand on single victim survivors where they've been instead placed in say motels and but services still not able to be in contact with them to give them ongoing support once they've escaped so it's I'm fascinated by how you've brought that perspective in with brothels Mm. being another safe place for a victim survivor to go to. Yeah if it's not brothel usually with the transgender community as I say it's a sisterhood think yeah it's usually uh, an elder transgender person or a woman uh, would have these people who gone through family violence to come to their house and and make their place into a safe space for them and I know a couple of them is doing that I just want to raise a couple of things of the stage four lockdowns in Victoria at the moment no brothels are currently open mm. and that also means that for those who sought a safe space at a brothel, they are currently not able to access that safe space where they can be away from their perpetrator. I would say that you're going to have also pockets within that larger cohort, like an elder transgender sex worker or even just current sex workers and how the restrictions have made it harder to reach getting a safe place if within their industry that is also that sisterhood understanding you know that is just that would be another impact on how the sense of connecting with services and safety is just further challenging in a family violence environment so i haven't worked in a brothel that um, has trans workers or 
LGBTI workers in this, mostly cis females who are participating at the brothels that I'm working at. And in those spaces, I don't believe that there's as much sisterhood compared to the places that Sassy has worked at. So okay. it's not necessarily a place where you would go and be able to just talk with anyone. In fact, like Sassy said before, it's important to have that uh, expertise um, and be able to speak to someone who is a third party um, who's able to respect your privacy and confidentiality as well. And that's where an expert like you come in, Melissa. Thank you for that, Kitty, for that. I'm noticing, in, in correct me if I'm wrong, I'm noticing also that there seems to be a specialty of how connection is made, particularly in the industry. As you were saying, even the difference for you, Kitty, of when it is, say, not a transgender brothel or service you're not seeing that same or communication connection as what Sassy was talking about but then the uniqueness of I think the situation Sassy's talking about actually promotes even more that need to have that tightness of communication and awareness and connection um, for those workers I mean yes they're a minority of a minority. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is a challenge that really, really grates me in just working in this space, that the main stream of how family violence is targeting supporting victim survivors is, yeah, is purely the majority. And it's not picking up the, the significance of so many other cohorts need to still have that same attention, same awareness, and providing as much as possible to them as well in funding and, and counselling and housing supports and things like that. Just a question to you guys then is, do you feel that there are barriers or stigmas on sex workers as to that maintains this distance for them to feel okay to go to services or services will judge them and therefore they won't do it or there's not enough services what what would you say is um some of those challenges from my experiences especially in the brothel i'm not just talking um it's just about transgender women because the brothel we do have cisgender women as well and in the past there is as well um male as well male sex workers too there is other services who uh, support services who comes to the brothel like once a month and try to talk to the girls but I don't think most of the girls would share about their stories I don't think they feel comfortable okay. on sharing their but they are more comfortable sharing their stories as with the workers especially with the trans workers okay. I guess I, I'm not sure why maybe because we listen I guess because we have gone through a lot more yeah the, except for family violence is about acceptance by the society as well so yeah most of the trans women has gone through a lot of hardships so I guess they understand more of this woman who going through family violence at home yeah. Yes. Yeah. Most of the ladies hardly use any of the services. They instead come into the brothel and tell the stories to them, cry, and, and then they go home and then they figure out something. Yeah, I, th I think in my experience in the male community, we're very isolated. And so in Melbourne, we don't have a lot of, we don't really have male brothels. So we exist in online spaces. And very similar to Sassy's experience, I, I've, I've worked in Sydney in, in male brothels. And when we did have outreach workers or people from from any sort of sex worker orgs come in, we wouldn't we wouldn't communicate with them. We wouldn't talk to them. The, the I think there's a lot of stigma, but also I think in terms of relating to people, you, you really relate to fellow sex workers, fellow yeah. peers. So yeah. to have an outreach worker come in and say, "Oh, I can help you with X, Y, and Z," you, you sort of 
you don't really trust them. Yeah. Because you don't know if you're going to be reported to authorities. You, you yeah, know, there, yeah, there's a yeah. Whole, there's a whole issue there. That's yeah. why, you know, on Behind Closed Doors, we always talk about decrim and the need for decrim. Yep. That's another episode. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of issues involved with that. From my experiences and what I understand, I actually see the government trying to address this issue. Their question at the moment is, what can we do to increase reporting and to get more sex workers to reach out for support, whether that is support from authorities or just mental health support? Because when someone goes through family violence or sexual assault, it's extremely traumatizing. And obviously from a standpoint where we are a stigmatized community that does not yet have D criminalization yeah it's a struggle for sex workers to reach out for help and i think that the government is slowly becoming very aware of this becoming acutely aware of this yeah and the response that i have is that sex workers and anyone for that matter need to have some level of trust Uh, with the person that we confide in. Because when it comes to our own experiences and our stories um, of the really difficult, traumatic things that we have experienced, it is a privilege for other people to be able to be accessing or hearing those stories. I agree. It's not just something that, you know, anyone should be able to to hear, to, you know, to come into that close space. It's intimate. Um, It's very very intimate it's, It's very intimate. I have another experience. This is back in the past where a trans woman who has a very abusive uh, partner and, you know, she always come to our place, all bruises up and we feel sorry for her and also angry at her partner, which we never met before. And we always advise her all the time like, to leave him. But it's always, it happens almost too often and she always goes back to him, mm-hmm. which we don't understand why. Yep. Um, I, I can talk to that in a minute. Yep. Yeah, so we, we actually don't understand why because this has been going on too long and we actually almost gave, gave up. But we still, whenever she said, oh, can I come over? I will always say like, yeah, come over to my place. Yeah, we, we just hang out. But yeah. after a while, it, get really frustrated because she never listened to us. She always goes back yeah. to this guy again. And this guy is, is really abusive. It's, whenever she comes, she like bruises everywhere. And it, yeah. we feel sorry for her. Yeah. yeah. So when we look at um, the situation with victim survivors, no matter who they are, where they come from, the importance about their perspective is often... They don't want to leave the perpetrator, and I'll explain the terminology. Perpetrator is what we use as a word for a person who is using violence to control or coerce or threaten another person into a fear state that their well-being and safety is compromised. So when I use the word perpetrator, it's using it in a context of the person who's using abuse to another person. When a victim survivor is actually staying in that relationship, it is not an easy decision to leave a situation where they've also got invested a lot of time and a lot of emotion. And often clients I've spoken to is 70% of the time that other person, the perpetrator is great. The 30%, how can we help get rid of that? So I can still maintain the 70% of the relationship. 
because I've invested myself 100% and I get 70% back. So the 30% is the abuse. But I've got, I've got love there. I've got other trusts there. I've got financial dependency. I've got, you know, a variety of investment in that relationship. And so I'm going to try and put up with that 30%. Now, in a rational perspective in a relationship that is well-balanced and respectful, we can go say, hey, 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 that's still not good enough. But we're not those people who, depending on those circumstances of how they have gotten into that relationship as to what they see their investments worth. And that investment is the emotional connection, the physical characteristics, definitely the financial components could be there. Unfortunately, the perpetrator knows that. And that is where they then start manipulating and breaking down the good value of the relationship and then manipulate it where it becomes threatening and coercive. Looking at a financial situation, for instance, slowly but surely the money, if there is money that the victim survivor is bringing in to support the home, that perpetrator is going to say, well, I, I need that because I'm unemployed or, you know, you're bringing in great money. Why do I need to work? You know, I'll stay home with the kids or I'll, I'll run the household while you do that. But I need to have access to that because I'm, I know better than you right? And so that particular shift of how the victim survivor feels they're locked into the relationship, you can't just leave that quickly. The hitting and all that, you'll go, yeah, I'm getting used to it or I'm numbing out on it. I had a a client yesterday who unfortunately has been in a 15 years relationship and every night she got raped. Uh, And she's currently under the age of 25 with cervical cancer from the amount of time she's had abortions and the amount of time she's had to go to the doctor because of the severity of what's happened to her sexually. And so when trying to talk to her a little bit about what's happened in those sexual assaults to her, right now she's in numb state because she's just gotten so used to just, you know, conditioning and that conditioning has happened by the perpetrator. And no doubt, I would see another layer for sex workers in that space too, of the kinds of manipulation that a perpetrator could put in, in action in a relationship that's adding on top of, say, a job that you can manipulate intimacy in that space as well. And that could be financially, that could be emotionally, that could be physically. That's, you know, sometimes how we see that the victim survivor can't yet leave. I think your friend or the person you're talking about, the, the support you're providing her is amazing that she can now look at a little bit of relief and then come back to it. And that may lead to eventually the evolution of, I don't need this anymore. It makes perfect sense because she was the person who actually bring the money at home. Right. Yeah. And I think after 11 years and then she woke up and left him. Yeah. 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 It's often a bit too much time in the hands of an abuser. Mm. I think, you know, that's why conversations like this on public radio is really important because these are not easy topics to talk about. No. And we want to explore how anyone, sex worker or not, mm. are at risk of abusive relationships. Now, when we come back after this short break, we're going to explore the wheel of violence and what people can look out for 
and what people can look out for to see whether or not they should be considering reaching out for help. Also, stay tuned to the end of this recording to listen to a list of support services available for you should any of this be triggering. You're listening to Behind Closed Doors. We are Australia's only six-worker radio show on community radio station 3CR 855am and digital radio. Tune into the station that gives voices to sex workers. Subscribe to 3CR. You're listening to Behind Closed Doors. You've got Dean Lim, Sassy Sin, and myself, Kitty Galore. We are hosts on this wonderful Australians-only sex worker radio show, and we've got today with us Melissa Brown. Melissa Brown, thank you for going through some really difficult conversations about family violence, not just for sex workers, but for our community in general. Thank you. We want to go into discussing the wheel of violence. And for those listening in who have not yet heard of it, can you please explain what is this wheel about and how can people use it to identify whether or not they're in an abusive relationship? So we've got the Duluth wheel, which is talking to the components of power and control a perpetrator will be exhibiting. It's like a a cut into a pie. And so there's pieces that refer to various different components of abuse. So there's coercive abuse, there's emotional abuse, there's financial abuse, there's male privileging, there's uh, threats and fear. So those parts of the wheel talk to commonly what have been examples repeatedly that perpetrators use for showing abuse and control over victim survivors. It was designed uh, in America as a an outcome from thousands and thousands of interviews with victim survivors about what they saw or what they experienced in domestic abuse relationships. And I think a wheel like this is really important because oftentimes when people think abuse and family violence, they automatically think physical violence only. So many victim survivors tend to say, well, you know, my relationship with my partner isn't that bad because I'm not being hit. However, there could be financial abuse, emotional abuse, uh, intimidation, coercion, threats. We were discussing just before about how sex workers face a different type of challenge. For example, perpetrators might say, well, if you leave me, then I'm going to out you to all of your family and friends and tell them that you're a sex worker. Yeah, And that's what keeps sex workers who are going through difficult relationships, abusive relationships in that relationship. Yeah. And that's a really good point to, to pick up on Kitty, because that stigmatization is being used as a weapon. And then a lot of sex workers, if they are doing it, part-time or casually in order to say help their financial situation or for whatever reason, sorry, for whatever reason they're doing it, sometimes they won't want to tell others about them doing that. And so it can be used in a domestic abuse relationship as a way of a weapon. And it doesn't include hitting. It's just that threat of I'm going to out you. Or another one, just picking up on some other points you've just made, in that sort of outing or stigmatization, verbal abuse can also be manipulated in putting down that person and say that in sex workers, from what I understand, uh, take pride in what they do. There's an intelligence and a, and a sensitivity and an intimacy to that 
profession. So, you know, to have then a perpetrator use that against them, say, calling them a slut or a whore or a, or a, a person that is unworthy in a lot of ways would be a verbal abuse without any hitting right? When we look at the Family Violence Protection Act, we are looking at that recognises as a piece of legislation, nine different ways that abuse can be exhibited. And, you know, physical is just one of them. There's sexual abuse, there's emotional abuse, there's spiritual abuse, there's financial abuse, there's isolation, there's socialised isolation. So there's a variety of ways abuse can be perpetrated on a victim survivor. And I think an additional layer of having like stigmas as well attached to certain cohorts that are used as weapons is appalling. Yes, such as sex workers. Now, I want to pose a question, and that is, now that we've identified uh, this extra challenge that sex workers have, what can we do to encourage sex workers to reach out for more support? And not just you know, reaching out to authorities and increase reporting, but how can we encourage them to reach out for mental health support as well? It's a really tricky situation because I've actually been a victim survivor many, many years ago with yeah. a partner who was actually a sex worker as well. And I had another job. And so the sex work was my casual income, but I was actually working seven days a week and I was the main, or I became the main provider of the household. And I didn't want to reach out to people. And in my, I would say my day job, I actually turned up to work with a black eye. And people uh, at work were really concerned about me. They and the, the partner at the time visited me at work to make sure that I would come home, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it was stalking. a really, yeah, it was a really tricky situation. And I got out of it because it got so bad that you know, I was fearful of, of my life. So I know what you're saying. It's like, well, how do you break that barrier of I need to reach out and get support and I think for me it was it got so bad that I had to get support so I, I reached out to family and friends and and I, I you know left that relationship and moved on but it took me a, a long time to realize that I was in a really bad situation and I, and I didn't know who to turn to even though my you know I had a, a really good GP at the time and he actually said you know do you need support are you okay but I couldn't really say anything because the partner was in the room with me. Oh, yeah. So I was in a situation where I wasn't left alone for very long. Yep. And, I, and I was always like monitored and, and controlled. Yep. And the, the abuse was physical and verbal and emotional manipulation. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I ticked a lot of boxes of being a victim <laughs> yeah. survivor. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Looking back, Dean, would you do things differently? I don't know if I could. I, I didn't know where to go. I didn't know who to t turn to, to to get support. Especially since you were at that point of time already a sex worker and mm. sometimes going to the police doesn't yield the best result for sex workers. No. No, so, no. See, what about you? Let's hear your insights. I've never been in a situation, I mean, being in a relationship of being abused. From my experience, it was with clientele. There's sometimes where my services doesn't match their expectations and they will use all those demeaning words um, towards me. And oh, yeah. it just affected oh, wow. me. I mean, um, sometimes, especially being a trans woman, we are in, on estrogen hormones. So our body weight's always ups and down. And sometimes they just make fun of my body, uh, my body, or 
just say all the mean things about me and it does affect me at that time and there's times I feel very unworthy and I don't know where to go or talk to because I always feel ashamed. I can't even talk to my friends because I was ashamed of myself. Mm-hmm. So um, I just live with it until, you know, it just, um, I guess I, I learn to be stronger when I see all these women on social media. It makes me stronger because of the positive words that has been on social media. So I guess I took back my power and I do not deal with those people anymore. I learned to be stronger on my own instead of using any support. If you were needing additional support, in the family violence space, we've got the National 1800 Respect Number, we've got Safe Steps, we've got Casa House, we've got Orange Door, and those are services that no matter who is calling or where they're from or how they work are there for anybody's use to get support there is also men's line so that's about all the time we have for episode one join us again for our next episode when dean lim sassy sin myself and melissa brown discuss how we can encourage more reporting of sexual assaults and family violence within our sex worker community how can we encourage more training within the police and service delivery workforce Thank you so much to all of you for joining us. You have been listening to Behind Closed Doors. This is Sia with a live version of Titanium. Take your